Today we come to the perhaps the most important event in the Gospel of Mark. You should guess what that is. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through chapter 16, verse 8. During graduation weekend in 2009 at Azusa Pacific University, an unusual event took place. During a small gathering of faculty and alumni um, and three graduating students, three, these three graduating students were um, acknowledged for their plans to serve the poorest of poor in India. The students expected that at this gathering, uh, they would be commissioned, they would be prayed for, and words of blessing, blessing would be spoken over them. The president of Azusa spoke up on this occasion and then addressed the three students directly. He said, I have some good news for you. Someone you do not know, an, an anonymous donor, has given a gift to the university on your behalf. Then he spoke to each student. He said to the first student, you are forgiven your school debt of $105,000. Then he went to the second student and said, you have been given your school debt of $70,000. And then he went to the third student, and you have been given, forgiven your debt of $130,000. And the whole room was overwhelmed with tears. The three students had no idea what was coming. John Ortberg, who witnessed this event, said, They were ambushed by grace, blown away that somebody they didn't know would pay their debt. So, I have some good news for you. Somebody has paid all of your debt. The debt you have before God. It's a moral debt. It's a debt of sin. And somebody has paid it for you. Every bit of it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he paid the sin penalty for the entire world. God did this because he loves you and me. It's not because we deserve it. And he offers a pardon to all those who are willing to receive it. Which brings us to our passage this morning in Mark chapter 15, verses 42 and following. Today, we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to follow in your programs, on your outline. We're going to start uh, with first the burial of Jesus, verses 42 through 47. Let me give you a little context here. A little, you know, we're jumping into a difficult section here, and how do we get up to speed? So here's context for you. It's late Friday afternoon. On Thursday night, the night before, Jesus shared the last Passover meal with his disciples, and there he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. There he predicted that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him three times. After uh, the meal and their time together, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus wanted to pray. And, wow. (laughs) And um, Jesus uh, prayed sincerely and intensely, and the disciples fell asleep. 
And, and he went back to them three different times, and they were sleeping. Jesus was betrayed by Judas and was arrested by the soldiers. He was first taken to Annas, Annas the high priest. Then Annas sent him to Caiaphas, uh, his son-in-law, the high priest, and then before the Sanhedrin. And it was before the Sanhedrin that they condemned him of blasphemy, which was worthy of death. But that's not worthy of death for a Roman. And so uh, they have no authority to execute Jesus, but they, they're hoping that Pilate will somehow... Uh, give a death sentence to Jesus. So they take him to Pilate. Pilate hands him off to Herod, who is a Jew. And Herod hands him back to Pilate. And uh, finally, the charge of treason that he claimed to be a king is brought against Jesus. And with a large crowd, uh, Pilate gives in and allows Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Jesus is put on the cross about 9 a.m. and he's dead by 3 p.m. That brings us up. To our passage today. The burial of Jesus, verse 42, the urgency of burial, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So, as evening approached, they got to deal with this thing about the body of Jesus. Jesus died on Friday. The Sabbath day is Saturday. Friday is the preparation day for the Sabbath. The Jewish people did no work on Sabbath day, Saturday. So they did everything ahead of time to prepare for Saturday. They prepared the food ahead of time, did no chores on Saturday, did all the chores on Friday to get ready for, this, uh, for, for the Sabbath. Well, the body of Jesus is about probably, you know, if he died on Friday at 3, they didn't take his body down immediately. They, they need to get his body down before sundown. It's not a lot of time. Because at sundown, Sabbath begins for the Jewish people. So there is an urgency to this. So maybe around 4 p.m., two hours until sunset, the body of Jesus, uh, is, by the way, is technically the property of the Roman Empire. Romans, when, when you're a criminal, they confiscate everything. All your property, all your cash, all your clothes, and you. The body belongs to the Roman Empire. So permission needs to be get, to given for the body to be released. Um, quite often, the Romans would leave the bodies of those criminals they executed on the cross for several days. To be an example to the nation that they, where they were bringing justice. And uh, it was an embarrassment. It was a humiliation. And they left the bodies there to decay and to rot and for the animals to take care of. Um, verse 43, we see a man of boldness. Look at verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. It's pretty easy to overlook how big of a deal this would have been for Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin. That's the group that condemned Jesus to death for blasphemy. This was the most important group in the nation it's the highest calling. It's the most prestigious group in the nation. 
Joseph belongs to this group. He um, was waiting for the kingdom of God, which tells us, which is a clue for us, he is a sincere uh, believer in God, and he is waiting for the Messiah. He believes the Old Testament scriptures, and he had a heart that was waiting and watching for Messiah. Joseph went to Pilate with, with a great risk to his own life. Remember, Jesus was a prisoner, uh, was, was uh, arrested, and was executed for treason because he claimed to be a king. That's a big deal in the Roman Empire. If a word gets out that Pilate was light on treason, Pilate's in trouble. And so if you go and ask for a, the body of a criminal who uh, has been accused and convicted of treason, you're identifying with a person of treason. That is dangerous. It was a big risk for Joseph to ask for the body. Um, and then Joseph, being a member of the Sanhedrin, it was a big risk to his career. He could just throw his career out the window because what is he doing? He's now identifying with Jesus. And he has not done that previously that we've seen in Scripture. Uh, Matthew tells us more, Matthew 27, 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. So Matthew gives us a couple of clues here. One, he's a rich man. Mark, Mark, remember, Mark is really simple, and he gives you the least amount of details because he's just getting the story. Here are the facts. And the other writers continue to give us more information. So Joseph is a rich man. That's going to be helpful. And two, he's a disciple of Jesus. And that is amazing. And the gospel, other gospels also tell us that um, he didn't support the death penalty for Jesus among the Sanhedrin. John 19, 38 through 40 gives us more information from the Gospel of John. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. So we have a secret disciple because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Very likely because he was a rich man, Joseph had help. Joseph had servants. There's only two hours to get the body of Jesus buried. And so uh, Joseph uh, takes the body with Pilate's permission. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus. Where have we heard of him before? John chapter 3, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Remember that story? It was to Nicodemus, that Jesus said, you must be born again. And the answer was John 3.16. This is how you're born again, Nicodemus. So next slide. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. These are wealthy guys. That's a lot of money to, to uh, buy myrrh and aloes, aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it. And what this passage doesn't tell us is that to do this, they would have had to carefully wash 
the body of Jesus. This is how bodies were prepared. Kindly and lovingly do this. That was a gruesome scene after what Jesus had gone through. And they wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. So they would wrap with a strip of linen, lim, uh, linen around, say, a, an arm or a leg, and then they would put the spices on it, and they would wrap another one around it and more spices, and they'd wrap another one around it and more spices. They did not embalm a body. The spices were all about decay and odor. And this was just a way that they honored the dead person. Um, the urgency to get this done by sundown was driven also by Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, here's what the law of Israel said. If someone guilty of a capital offense, Jesus was condemned for a capital offense, and he's put to death, Jesus was put to death, and their bodies exposed on a pole, Jesus' body was exposed on a wooden pole and a crossbar. You must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it the same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. A body on a pole on a wooden stake is cursed. Jesus was cursed when he was crucified. He became a curse and he became a, cur- a curse uh, for us. Galatians 3.13 tells us this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he bore the sin penalty of the entire world. And for a time, he was cursed by God. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He was cursed. And there was was this urgency. Jesus needs to be buried by sundown. Dead at three. Body has to be claimed. And all this... Uh, action has to happen by sundown. The confirmation of Jesus' death is in 44 and 45. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So we already mentioned that it was common for uh, a, a criminal to be on the cross two or three days. At least I mentioned this last week. It would be common for a criminal to be on the cross two or three days before his death uh, because they died by exhaustion, usually. They were, they were uh, tortured in, in this situation, but they just kept going, and it was, the whole intention was for it to be a slow death, a pa- slow and painful death. So Pilate was surprised that Jesus would die so quickly. And to... to uh, confirm this, he summons the chief executioner, uh, the centurion, the one who said at the cross, surely this man is the son of God. But this is Pilate's 
uh, most experienced uh, executioner person in matters of death. And so the, the centurion confirms that Jesus is dead. Um, and um, he, he wouldn't make a mistake about this. Um, so also, Pilate, Pilate did not have to relief, release a prisoner, a, a criminal, uh, a body. The body belonged to the Roman Empire. Pilate was not required to, to release it. Um, often the Romans would uh, release a body to family members, sort of out of pity, if family members came to him. But you know what? No family members of Jesus showed up for the body. The disciples don't show up for the body. Uh, the, the disciples have scattered. And God appointed this man, Joseph of Arimathea, with his friend Nicodemus, both members of the Sanhedrin, uh, both about to forget their careers to be followers of Jesus. Uh, no doubt, Pilate understood the Jewish burial custom of the body needing to be buried, and uh, they did not embalm their uh, bodies. So Pilate gives an act of generosity, and it's probably based on his belief that Jesus was innocent and not really a rebel king. Um, it, It would have been easy for Pilate just to let someone accused of treason to rot on the cross as a humiliation to the Jewish people. Verse 46 and 47, we have the burial at the tomb. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped in linen, and placed it in the tomb, cut out of a rock. And we saw that in John's passage, John chapter 19. So this was Joseph's personal tomb. It had never been used. And Mark, remember, gives us the shortest account of the whole thing. John's was more detailed. Then it says, he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb, verse 46. It's probably like a heavy millstone, a round stone that could roll. And um, it was uh, in this carved tomb, carved out of rock. The, the, The stonemason would have cut a groove right in front of the entrance to the tomb, and the groove was for that round rock, so you could roll the rock in this track carved out of rock. And usually the stone was at a higher elevation, so it was easy to roll the stone down to cover the opening. It was really difficult to roll it back up. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And Mark gives this brief note. It's, Mark's the only one that mentions the women here. And they are tracking the facts. They know where the body of Jesus is. They know what's happened to him. They know he's okay for right now. But they can do no more because of the Sabbath. Next we come to uh, the most profound event in human history, verses 16, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 1, the women returned to the tomb when the Sabbath was over. So it had been Friday, Friday night. The women see where the body is laid. Saturday happens, it goes by. Nobody mentions, none of the writers mention anything about Saturday, the Sabbath day. It's after the Sabbath. 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, three women bought spices so that they might might go to anoint Jesus' body. So um, Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb. These spices were also very expensive. This was a loving act of devotion on the part of these women to care for the body of Jesus. In a sense, Jesus had already been buried. They didn't need to do more, but here they come in an act of love. And again, it's the same thing. They're going to... The spices... um, are, are liquefied, and they're going to anoint the body. They're going to pour this on the body for the purpose to deal with the decay. Now, think about this. They have no clue there's going to be a resurrection. They do not expect it. They have come to honor the dead. Verse uh, 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they each ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Here's one of the fantastic things about the eyewitness accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They give you the raw details. They're not perfect details. It's not like, how could we manufacture a great story? Because some of you would remember that women were not allowed to be legal witnesses in court. To have a woman give testimony was not really important in the first century culture in the Jewish community as well as the Roman community. And so the women are the one who's tracking this. The women are the first to the tomb. The women are the first to understand that the tomb is empty. And what's on their mind when they get to the tomb? Who will roll away the stone? They got a problem. They don't expect a resurrection. They got the problem of the stone. They don't know all the details. They don't know that Matthew says that the, that the Jewish people went to Pilate and the Pilate sent soldiers to the tomb. They sealed the tomb and the soldiers were there until the, the angels rolled away the stone. Mark doesn't tell us all of that. But the women are just, who's going to roll away the stone? That sounds like a problem. And they realize we've, we've, we can do everything else, but we can't do the stone. And then verse 4, we see the stone removed. But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large. That's, Mark's the only one that mentions that. So this was like a larger than the average stone. It was, you know, made sense that this was a rich man's tomb. And... The stone had already been rolled away. Uh, Matthew tells us that the stone was removed by an angel in blazing white. Verse 5, we we meet the angel. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man. That's all Mark says. And he's dressed in a white robe. That's all Mark says. Sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. This is the angel Matthew describes in blazing white. This is a messenger sent from God. Uh, Matthew and Mark mention one angel. Luke and John mention two angels. Who's right? They both are. Matthew and Mark only mention the angels who speak. 
One angel speaks. That's all they're interested in. Um, The women were alarmed by the presence of an angel, as human beings usually are in the presence of angel. If you read through the rest of the Bible, they're usually just awestruck. They're speechless and terrified when an angel speaks in their presence. And the women seem to be the same. The announcement comes in verses 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed. It's typically how angels start out. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the human who was crucified. You know, remember Friday he was nailed to a cross and he died? He has risen. He's not here. God sent a messenger to announce that to the women. They're first. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Here's proof. This is where they laid the body. Would have been a stone slab inside probably a rich man's tomb. was probably large. And there were probably openings for many bodies. First they put it on the slab. There they prepared it. There they waited. And after a period of time, after the decay, they would put the bones into a little compartment within the tomb. And the whole family could be there. But this was a brand new tomb, never been used before. And the angel says, see, this is where they laid him. He's not here. He's risen. Oh, that's different. Verse 7, then the instructions come to to the women. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Go, tell his disciples. This is the gospel of action. There's no laying back here. Go, the angel says. Tell the disciples and Peter. Why is Peter a standalone? Because he messed up so bad. And God wants Peter to know, I haven't forgotten you. Don't leave the disciples. You're still in. Go tell the disciples and Peter. By the way, he said, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said this to them on the night he was betrayed at the the Last Supper. You will fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You see, Jesus had already told them that. And, you know, it's like, sure. What did he say? And now the angel is saying, now, you need to go to Galilee. Jesus is going to meet up with you there, okay? This is the plan. Luke chapter 2, angels uh, had a pretty significant role in the life of Jesus. Not only did they announce what happened to him after he died, they announced his arrival. Remember that? Acts chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That's kind of an appropriate response when God sends an angel to speak. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Next slide. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Angels announced his birth. It was good news. Now the angels have announced his resurrection. And that is 
really good news. Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, this is the ascension. I just wanted you to see. After he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes. So Jesus is at the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and he spoke to them, and he was taken up before the very eyes. That's the ascension right there. It happens really quick. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Who are these two men dressed in white? They're angels. Men of Galilee, he said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Next slide. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. But this is announced by the angels. This is kind of a significant part of the ministry of Jesus. Okay, last verse, the bewilderment of the women. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And um, maybe we would be too. Uh, You know, what's just happened to the women? They're terrified, they're awestruck, they're in awe, they're speechless. Eventually, it says right here, uh, they said nothing to anyone. Now, what did the angel just tell them? Go, tell the disciples and Peter... Go ahead to Galilee. We'll meet you there. And the women are awestruck. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's probably a real human response. Now, the good news is eventually they will tell Peter and the disciples. But now they're overwhelmed with all that's happened. I mean, we see this. We look back and we look at it Sunday after Sunday. This all happened to them at once. You know, Jesus got arrested. Jesus was condemned to death. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus died. Jesus was put in the tomb. What are we going to do? The best thing we can do is anoint his body. They go to the tomb to anoint his body, and it's empty. And now there's an angel. It's overwhelming. And they're terrified in the presence of an angel. So what is the meaning and significance of the death of Jesus? What is the meaning and the significance of the death of Jesus? My notes have meaning and significance. Yours don't. Uh, Mark 8.31. I'm going back to the middle of the book of Mark. Remember this? He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus told them what was going to happen. Now it's all happened. Now he has been raised again. What's the significance of this? Well, let me just say an obvious one. The first is you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus does what he says he will do. You can trust Jesus with your entire life every day. If you are a a Christ follower, you can trust Jesus every day in every situation. If you are not yet a Christ follower, you should consider 
this good news. Jesus died for you. And he paid the penalty for your sins. Your moral debt before God has already been paid for. But it doesn't benefit anyone until they respond to God on his terms. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. And so Jesus only had to do this one time because the payment that he made was big enough to to cover the entire sins of the world forever and ever, okay? Why? Because of who he is. Because he is God. Because he is God's son. His life is infinitely valuable. There is nothing more valuable than the life of Jesus. They only need to suffer once. The righteous for the unrighteous. He's the righteous one. You and I are the unrighteous. And he, he did this for us. He suffered for us. Him for us. Why? Here's the purpose. Here's the reason to bring you to God. To bring us to God so that we can have a relationship with God. He was put to death in the body, the crucifixion. And he was made alive uh, by the Spirit. And that's the resurrection. So, when Jesus died, what's the meaning and significance? His death was a victory over sin. It was a victory over death, spiritual death. And it was a victory over uh, the enemy, his enemy, and our enemy, Satan. Okay? God has one requirement. John 3.36 says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son of man will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. By the way, these words were spoken to Nicodemus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's God's requirement, is to believe what God has said about his Son. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for sin. It's all paid for. Now what God wants is you to trust Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. And he says, if you do, you're given eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven will be your home. And there's 33 other things that happen when you place your faith in Christ. However, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Without Jesus, we're under judgment. With Jesus, we're forgiven and we're pardoned from the penalty of sin. Romans 3.21 through 26 teaches that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Let me just walk through this, because sometimes it's not clear. God is a God of justice, okay? God, because he's a God of justice, must judge sin. God sent Jesus, because he loved us, as a sacrifice. He offered his son as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice without sin. When Jesus died, God's wrath was poured out on the cross on Jesus, and God's wrath was satisfied, and he no longer needs to judge the world for the sin penalty. It has been judged. It's because God is just. And to say that Jesus paid for our sin, it's like saying that in our world today, this wouldn't work, but it might work for this room. If you had a $20 billion 
moral debt? How could you pay it? And if Jesus said, I paid it all already, it's a gift. But you have to receive it. Well, how do you do that? Well, you come to God on his terms. You you do by faith. To believe, to receive this gift, you must believe what God has said about his son. So, as we close our service today, I would just like to give us an opportunity. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, so that you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that that you know that you're a child of God, that that you know that you're born again. There's a lot of different terms that describe this, that you know that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, you could do that this morning. You could begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer, because prayer is just one way to express your faith. But I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to go through it two different times because I want you to hear it the first time and see if it makes sense. And if it does make sense and you've never placed your faith in Christ before, I would invite you to pray with me the second time. You can pray silently from your heart. So the prayer is like this. And you you don't even have to bow your head right this minute. It's like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. I invite Jesus to come into my life and I ask him to help me be the kind of person that he wants me to be. Okay? It's that simple. It's a way to express. I'm just trying to help words that uh, will bring you before the throne of God. Okay? Second time I'd like to pray this. I'd like us to all bow our heads and I want to go through the prayer a second time. If you're already a follower of Christ, just thank God for what he's done for you. If you haven't place your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now and just pray with me silently from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus died for me. I get that now. I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. Now I invite Jesus to come into my life. And I want him to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. And with no, no one looking around right this minute, if you, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you mind just slipping up your hand so I could see? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. Father, I, um, we just thank you for the death of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have paid for our sins. Thank you that you loved us so much that Jesus would die for us. Thank you for the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him life, as we're going to see next week. I thank you, Father, for those who, by faith, have trusted you this morning. I pray that you will encourage them. I pray that they might sense your presence. I pray that they might sense forgiveness this morning. And God, I pray for all of us that 
we might appreciate the gift you've given us. And not only that, that we would share it with our world for Jesus' sake. Amen.